Reading today from Proverbs chapter 1, verses 8 through 19. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Indeed, they are a graceful wreath on your head and the ornaments around your neck. My son, if a sinner entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without cause. Let's swallow them alive like Sheol, and even whole as those who go down into the pit. We shall find all kinds of precious wealth. We shall fill our houses with spoil. Throw in your lot with us, and we shall have all one purse. My son, do not walk in that way with them. Keep your feet from their path, for their feet run to evil, and they hasten to shed blood. Indeed, it is useless to spread the net in the eye of any bird, but they lie in wait for their own blood. They ambush their own lives. So are the ways of everyone who gains by violence. It takes away the life of its possessors. As we get settled and ready to hear from God's word, the children may now be dismissed to go to preschool play and worship in children's church. I do invite you to find Proverbs chapter 1 in your Bible so you can follow along the... um, Scripture itself won't be projected as we go through the sermon. You'll need to look in your Bibles as we move forward in this passage. As we're still getting settled, I need to point out, I felt like the Lord kind of directed me to to rearrange how I'm going through Proverbs a little bit. So uh, you might have noticed this actually wasn't the topic I had intended last week to preach this week, but I felt like I was leaving some things behind, so I've gone back and I've been... Just wanted to get a thorough treatment of Proverbs. So um, I trust the Lord's guidance on these things. And uh, so today we're in Proverbs chapter 1, verses 8 through 19. And uh, I, I usually like to, as I'm preparing my sermons, I like to get it boiled down all the way to what I call the sermon in a sentence. If I can get it down to where I know the big point in one sentence, I'll feel like I have something clear to give you. Um, it's easy for a nerdy pastor to get so absorbed in study that he has a billion ideas and he loves them all so much. They're all his babies and, and I just want to give you this avalanche of stuff. And, but I like to just give you one idea. And this passage has done it for me. Verse 10 is the sermon in a sentence for this, this whole passage. If you look in your Bibles, or actually this will be up here, it says, My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. I titled this sermon, Wisdom and Peer Pressure. I know when we think of peer pressure, if you're like me, we tend to think of something that high schoolers or middle schoolers have to deal with. Uh, Somebody asking you to do drugs because everybody's doing it. Um, I'm using it as shorthand for any pressure that a Christian encounters to do something they know is wrong. Okay, so I'm calling it peer pressure, but we all know what I mean. It's it's not just 
uh, the cool kids at school asking you to go get drunk instead of go to class. It's any pressure we encounter to do something that we know is wrong as Christians. And it comes in many forms, and it comes to us at all different ages. That verse, my son, if sinners entice you, entice is the idea of luring you. If sinners entice you, do not consent. That idea of consent is to go along, to go with the flow of what people are pressuring you to do. So in my mind, like I said, I've got all these big prayer concerns that are in my mind and on my heart, but I feel that this is the passage for today. It seems such a um, specific niche of concern, but I trust that there are people in here who are dealing with this right now that need to hear this word. So what I'd like to do before we begin to really study the passage is pray together once more. And I invite you to pray with me, and let's ask the Lord to speak to us and teach us today. Would you bow with me? Father, please reveal to us our hearts here. Please show us those areas in our lives in which we are pressured to do things that we know are wrong. Please prepare us for things that we may encounter for people we may encounter who would lure us to do things we know we shouldn't do. And all the while, please let the good news of Jesus Christ act as an umbrella over this whole discussion so that any of us who have been the tempters, who have coerced others to do things they shouldn't do, or who have gone along into sin and folly, would not feel condemned. Help us to hear your instruction, and not to forsake your teaching. Let it be like a graceful garland for our heads and pendants for our necks. In Jesus' name, amen. So it's a fairly straightforward passage. It's wisdom that you have heard before, probably from your parents, which might be why he evokes your father's instruction and your mother's teaching in verse 8. So I'm going to present it in a pretty straightforward way in three steps. How to spot peer pressure, what to do with peer pressure, and why. Those are the three steps. And we'll start with how to spot peer pressure. All right, now, we should view these three things I'm going to give you here as red flags, okay? You should hear a voice in your head that says, alarm, alert, alarm, alert, alarm, alert. That's something Elias used to run around the house saying, if anything. If he ever needed our attention for any reason, he would say, alarm, alert, alarm, alert, alarm, alert. Lillian's hurt, or I need you to change the TV station, or I'm hungry, whatever it is. Alarm, alert. If we, I've put it, I've alliterated. It's a very preachery thing to do, but I think we really need this to be uh, memorable so we can keep it in our pocket and keep with us because we don't know when we're going to encounter pressure to do something that we shouldn't do. And it can catch us off guard and it can put you on the spot and it'll be good to pack some of this wisdom in our minds in an in a easy to remember way. So I've put them with H's, hide, hurt, and have. And we'll go through them one by one. The first one, hide. This comes from verse 11, and the idea is, will going along with this require me to hide? Will going along with this proposal, this plan, this invitation, this pressure, require me to lie or be secretive 
or pretend or keep secrets from people or alter the way I talk so that people don't fully understand the truth or any such thing. Look in your Bibles at verse 11. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Lie in wait and ambush are, are similar phrases in the Hebrew and it just has the idea of hiding. You know what an ambush is? It's you're lying in wait in hiding so that you can attack someone without them knowing it's coming. If you encounter some pressure to do something that is akin in any way to an ambush, that you need to put on some form of camouflage, some form of secrecy, it's a red flag. Now, it's not always bad peer pressure sin. It might be somebody's planning a surprise birthday party and they need you to keep the secret and, and pretend you're taking somebody to this restaurant and you're actually going over here. Obviously, that's okay. But anytime that you're pressured to keep a secret or to keep quiet or to hide, it's a huge red flag. So I'll give you a couple of examples. Uh, this can happen a lot in the business or professional world. Uh, you know, I was in sales for quite a while. Anybody in sales or been in sales? Like commission-based stuff. Uh, there can be a lot of pressure to manipulate and deceive your customers. You know, it depends on what kind of company it is and what kind of management you have. But there can be a lot of pressure to try to make them believe something that just really isn't true so that they'll pay the higher price, so that they'll buy the more expensive item. Okay, now that's a subtle example, but I think that that falls into this category because it's basically making you deceive and operate in darkness. And you can't just be honest and truthful. One example that came to my mind a lot while playing this sermon is with gossip. How does gossip usually start? What's, what's some of the, the key phrases you can expect to hear? Don't tell anybody. But I heard such and such and such and such. Don't let them know I'm the one that told you this, but such and such and such and such. As soon as you hear that invitation to don't say anything, you're invited into secrecy. Okay, you're invited to know something that you're going to have to pretend you don't know, which is a form of deception. That's one of the reasons gossip is so destructive and so foolish. Or like with children, this is one of the reasons I thought it might actually be good for the older kids to be in here. Um, any of you with siblings ever heard your brother or sister say, don't tell mom, don't tell dad. Your arm's just a little bit broken. It'll heal, just don't say anything. That's a form of peer pressure. That's a form of pressure to do something you know is wrong. And that's something we need to teach our children and our grandchildren. If you're at school and any kid says, hey, if I show you something, will you promise not to tell anybody? Hey, if I tell you something, will you promise not to tell anybody? The wise child would say, no, I don't want any part of that. In fact, if you tell me, I will immediately go and tell everybody. So just don't tell me. Well, we'll get, I'm getting ahead of myself. We'll get to what to do with peer pressure in a minute. But the first red flag, how to identify it is, just think of the word hide. If it requires hiding, if it will make you secretive. Okay, the second one is hurt. Okay, the question to ask here is, will going along with this require a victim? Will going along with this hurt somebody? Look at verses 11 and 12 in your Bibles. If they say, 
Come with us, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, the place of the dead, let us swallow them alive and whole, like those who go down to the pit. Now, a very obvious application of this, which I don't think really affects anybody in this room, would be uh, the way you're, um, from what I understand on television, the way you're initiated into a gang usually has to do with hurting somebody. Now, I don't see a lot of gang symbols and colors in here. I know that's not a real applicable um, idea for us. But as Charlotte continues to spread, it could be for future generations of our families if we stay here. It could be that we become an urban church as Charlotte begins to come, continue to spread out and around us. And it could be something that we deal with one day. So it's good to know now and teach our children and grandchildren now, if anybody comes up to you and is trying to to get you in with them on some plan that's going to hurt somebody, don't go along with it. Don't consent to it. It's foolish. It's folly. Now, like I said, I don't think gang violence is a big issue among you. Um, But with our children at school, we do hear a lot about bullying. And it might be that some of our younger generations feel pressure at school. You know, kids want friends. They feel pressure at school to go along with the bully so that they're not the recipient of the bullying. And at least it gets them accepted. But we need to teach our children and grandchildren that that's very foolish. Don't consent. Don't go along. And to press a little further on this point, because I doubt any of us feel as though we would go along with a plan that intentionally hurt someone. But I was praying through this. I was asking the Lord to reveal to me ways in which this is applicable to me. I know that I was a part of things, especially in my younger years, that hurt people on purpose. Okay, If any of you have uh, been a young man in a group of friends, a bunch of young men, automatically none of us is as stupid as all of us when you're with a bunch of young men. And the main thing that we would do was make fun of one another. That's just our, our form of humor. And looking back on it, there was always one that was the butt of the joke. Now, they would interchange, but there was a group of about four of us, and it would interchange out the butt of the joke, and I was part of the the three that was never really the butt of the joke. And I look back now, and I think, if I was in the position of these guys that we gave such a hard time, that's what we would call it, giving them a hard time, I would never have hung out. I'm amazed that these guys continue to be friends with the rest of us. I look back on some of the, the things that I did, and I was just a jerk, just an idiot, But, you know, I went along. And sometimes I was probably the initiator. Uh, Probably usually I was going along. And that's a mild example, but it is this sort of foolishness that we need to watch out for. A wise person won't go along with something that's going to victimize somebody, even in a mild way. And I had a friend who was a mature Christian. At that age, a mature Christian, which is kind of rare. You know, the rest of us, I believe, were Christians, but we were very immature And he would never go along with that garbage. And it made us so uncomfortable. It almost made us where we didn't want to hang out with him. Because the contrast between him refusing to victimize anybody and us just loving it and laughing it up was so stark. It just made us feel terrible. Okay, This foolishness can seep in in a lot of different ways. So the red flags so far are hiding and hurting. And lastly, have Having, look at verses 13 and 14. 
Okay, this is still the invitation of the, the sinful person who is luring you and enticing you. They say, We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will all have one purse. So the question asked here is, does going along with this promise easy profit? Does going along with this promise easy gain, easy money? Because the wise person studies Proverbs and knows that there is no such thing as easy money. The only way to profit righteously and wisely is to work hard for a long time and to be a good steward of what you earn. Easy money almost always comes from something foolish or sinful. It's just the nature of things in this world. Work is good, but sin corrupted everything, so now work is hard, and it's always going to be hard. So don't be looking for the easy money because it's almost always victimizing someone or causing you to do something deceitful or something wrong. You know, the example that comes to mind here is uh, pyramid schemes. Has anybody ever been invited to be a part of a pyramid scheme? Okay, some of us maybe, and we didn't know it until a little too late. I had a friend in college who was really smart, and he fell for it and got involved with the pyramid scheme where he actually had to pay to, to have the job. That's a big red flag if somebody says, I'll hire you, but you have to pay me to get the job. That sounds a lot like him saying in verse 14, throw in your lot among us, we'll have one purse. That's a red flag. Anything that promises easy money is probably a scheme you don't want a part of. If it requires buy-in especially. So these, are, these aren't the only red flags that you're encountering, peer pressure that you need to get your guard up, that you need to be on your toes and think clearly. But if you run into these three H's, hide, hurt, have, if it's going to make you secretive, if it's going to hurt someone, and if it promises quick, easy money, you need to be on guard. Okay? There could be more said, but let's move on to the following verses and what to do. It's very simple. He says it in verse 10, My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. It could be translated, I think, maybe a little bit better. Don't go along. So what do you do when you encounter pressure to do something that you shouldn't? Don't do it. (laughs) That's groundbreaking, isn't it? Aren't you glad you came this morning? It's not rocket surgery, but it's wise. Don't go along. And that's very easy for us to say here in the comfort of our pews, but sometimes it can be very, very difficult. The very phrase translated consent or go along in verse 10 in your Bibles is the idea that it would be easiest to go along. You're in the current, in the flow. It would be easiest just to go along with everybody else. But the wise person climbs up out of the flow, up the bank and says, no, I'm not going along with this. Now in verse 15, we get a little bit more detailed idea of how to not go along, how to not consent. It says, My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths. It's sort of a two-step process to not go along with peer pressure. Avoid those people and avoid those paths. Avoid those people and avoid those paths. 
My son, do not walk in the way with them. Don't join them. Don't walk beside them. Don't associate with them. Don't befriend them. Don't partner up with them. Hold back your foot from their paths. So not just their presence, but even their paths. Don't go the way they go. Don't talk the way they talk. Don't go to the places they frequent. Don't operate in the ways they operate. Total avoidance. Now, as I studied this, the question came to my mind, why doesn't it say confront them, stop them, be a whistleblower? All it says is to remove yourself from them. It doesn't say to do anything to try to stop them or shine light on what they're doing. And I think there's a couple of reasons for that. I think one is the fact that this is purely focused on wisdom. And it's not so much focused on, on morality or righteousness. There are things in the New Testament, I think, that would lead us to sometimes confront and sometimes be whistleblowers. But this is purely just about wisdom, which is about what's going to be the wisest, the, the best thing to do. Another reason is things we learn in passages like Proverbs 9, 7, and 8. We talked about this last year. But I'll read this one to you. Proverbs 9, 7, and 8 says, Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he'll love you. There's the idea through Proverbs that there are some people that aren't going to learn, and so your best bet is to just remove yourself from them, not to try to even help them. Because it's only going to trigger you getting abused. So we'll use the example of gossip. I feel like that's one that we all encounter and that we all take part in sometimes. Even you men. I know the stereotype is that the women tend to be the gossips. But men, we tend to do a lot of it ourselves. It's a very common thing. It's a very subtle thing. So... The next time someone pulls you aside and says, all right, I've got something to tell you, but it can't go any further than us. You can kind of tell if it's like a prayer request or if it's just gossip. Okay, just between us. Okay, the next time you hear that, know that the wise response is to get out of that conversation immediately. Don't go along with that conversation. Don't go down that path. Now, it's up to you how you go about refusing to consent with the pressure to gossip. Maybe just slap them. I'm just kidding. Don't slap them. That would get the point across real quick, but then you'd be stumbling into other issues. I've told you before, I think a very effective thing is as it's taking place over the phone lines, just hang up abruptly. I think it'd be great if we started doing that to one another. And I'm including myself in this. I am not above gossip. There can be something so soothing about gossip. Pointing out the wrong in others makes yourself look and feel a little better. So if I'm ever on the phone with you and I start to gossip and you even suspect it, hang up on me abruptly. And I'll remember, oh, I told him to do that. Let's do that to one another. And if that doesn't work, we'll start slapping. I think that we should go as far as if we recognize that certain people are just very prone to this particular sin. 
I think we should know that it would be wise to distance ourselves from them. Now, I know there's things in the New Testament, especially as we're the church together, in which we're meant to bear with one another's sins and we're meant to admonish one another and point things out to one another. And I think that all that can take place while still distancing ourselves relationally. You know, and I'll give you, I'll give you an example. I've, I've entered a scenario in the past in which I quickly realized that this one individual was a gossip, like stereotypical gossip. They were always pulling me into little secret conversations about other people. And, you know, I kind of knew some of this. So I was like, okay, I, I at least know not to trust this person with any sensitive information. But then as I was getting to know others, I started to realize the people who were friends with the capital G gossip, they're in that same category. Why would they be such good friends if I know that they're always getting lunch together on lunch break and all that stuff? It makes them, by association, untrustworthy. So let's be wise and not even associate with people who would pressure you to do things you know are wrong. Gossip is just one little tiny example, but... You know, we could brainstorm many examples. You know, business situations like I was sharing. Um, we can think of many examples for our kiddos. Um, you know, I think about Elias and Lillian. They're growing up. Inevitably, there'll be people pressuring them to do things that they ought not do. It's just a part of life. Kids are trying to figure things out. And kids want to be friends. They, they want to be accepted. You know, I want my kids to know that as soon as you see somebody's pressuring you to do something you know is wrong, don't be a fool. Go play on the other side of the playground. If it's bad during class, ask the teacher if you could sit on the other side of the class. Don't go to that kid's birthday party. Don't be best friends with that kid. Okay? It's not cruel. It's wise. Okay? And I'll let the Holy Spirit bring about other examples that may be more applicable to you. I can't... I'm not a mind reader. I don't know what all situations you may have, but I know that this is applicable to all of us. So what to do? You do not go along with this. You don't go along with the people or the paths. Now I want to finish with why. Verses 16 through 19 are devoted to why it is so foolish to go along with sinful people who are enticing you to do sinful things. Let's read it. Why? Verse 16, for their feet run to evil and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird, but these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. The big reason why it is so foolish to go along with the pressure to do something you know is wrong from the viewpoint of wisdom is because it's self-destructive. Now, we also know that it's morally wrong, but remember, Proverbs isn't really concerned about morality. It's concerned about what's best for you. It's not going to be good for you, even just on a pragmatic level, to go along with people who are pressuring you to do something that you know is wrong. It will come back to bite you. Okay, we're not talking about karma here. We don't believe in that. We're talking about consequences. There are consequences to these things. So even in a situation where it looks like the safest thing to do is to go along, 
with the pressure to do wrong, I promise you it is not. It's the most dangerous thing you can do. Crooked co-workers will be fired. How many of you have seen that? A crooked co-worker seems to be successful for a while, but eventually it catches up. Crooked business owners will go bankrupt. The practices catch up. It might take a while. It might be their son's generation when they inherit the business. It catches up. There are consequences. Bullies in the schoolyard will end up getting beaten. They'll pick on somebody stronger who's not going to take it. And if you associate yourselves with them, you might also get to enjoy that beating. Mockers like I was will be humiliated. You will be exposed for the jerk that you are. I'm preemptively doing it right now. I know it and I regret it. Gossips will be social outcasts. Associate with them and you'll go right along with them. It catches up. Whatever it is. So don't go along with it. Even if it seems the safe bet at first, I promise in the long run, it will prove to have been the wrong choice. So my prayer throughout this was that, was basically verses 8 and 9, that I would be able to hear this instruction and not forsake this teaching, that it would be for me like a graceful garland for my head or a pendant for my neck. Um, I know that's sort of, ancient poetic language. But it's a good image. Um, Meredith and I recently were out and about and we went to uh, South Park Mall. You've been to South Park Mall? It's a fancy, fancy place from uh, a Monroe boy. I remember the first time I ever went to South Park Mall, I was telling Meredith, I was like, golly, look at these stores. You know, you can feel uh, relatively fashionable And put together until you go to some place like South Park Mall. And you're like, I am a hobo. (laughs) And you would drive yourself crazy trying to stay in fashion and trying to keep up with all those trends. And and, uh, it's, it's not a worthwhile pursuit, really. Better is to dress ourselves in these instructions and these teachings. Like he invites us to in verses 8 and 9. It'd be better to spend more time shopping for wisdom than for clothes. It'd be better to stock our lives with God's instructions than the latest fashions. It'd be better to dress ourselves in God's teaching. Let's give our, our attention to that. Let's be the kind of people who, when the, uh, the fashionable South Park Mall people get acquainted with us, they see how hobo-like they are in terms of wisdom if they don't know Jesus Christ. Where you stand out like my friend who refused to victimize someone, you know, through mockery. They stand out and in comparison, we realize how foolish. Let's be those kinds of people. Not to make people feel bad, but so we can honor God and so we can show the way, so we can be light and salt in this world. It's good to stand out in these ways. It can be painful to stand out in these ways. It can be scary to stand out in these ways. But it is our calling as Christians to be wise. So let's close with a note of honesty before we sing our final hymn, which is very much about the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
This passage says in verse 10, My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. It would be easy to sit here and think, I'm glad I'm not one of those sinners. But we need to remember that we are one of those sinners. That we are not here because we are so wonderful that we can be wise in of ourselves. That we're here because we've been humbled. And that God has knelt down and looked us in the eyes and said, You're a sinner, but I love you. Please accept this gift through Jesus Christ of salvation and forgiveness. This new birth so that you can walk in newness of life. Through Jesus Christ, we can actually live like this. We can actually walk in newness of life with total humility, knowing that we are the sinners, but we're forgiven. Let's pray. Father, I am so grateful for how practical you get in your word, especially in the book of Proverbs. I'm thankful that you created reality to operate according to certain principles and that you give us those principles that we know how to live best in this world. Please help us to put on this instruction like a garland for our head and this teaching like pendants for our necks. Help us to be wise people in a world full of sinful pressure from our co-workers to our families to the advertisements on TV. Help us to see these things for what they are and to refuse to consent. In Jesus' name, amen.